0: This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Aureole Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specializes in making it a successful reality. Hello everyone and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Aureole Morrison. Today we're talking crypto, It's been a tough month in May if you are an investor in uh, cryptocurrencies. In fact, the global market lost close to 30% over May alone. However, depending on who you speak to, there is some optimism that the worst could be behind us to talk more about this and, of course, innovation in the digital asset management space. I'm joined now by Chris Manner. Now, Chris is the president of 3iQ Digital Assets US. Chris, such a pleasure to have you with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Now, take us through your journey. To get to Three IQ, Chris, want to just hear a little bit about you because you went from Goldman's to founding a crypto firm yourself to here at Three IQ.
1: Yeah, that's right. So back in uh, two thousand and seventeen, I had been at Goldman for around five to six years. At that point, I was uh, spending my time in the asset management space. We had a lot of clients, a lot of investors at, at Goldman within the asset management division, focused on on the crypto universe, especially at that time. If, if you remember, two thousand and sixteen to two thousand and seventeen, Bitcoin went from a thousand dollars all the way up to twenty thousand dollars per bitcoin Um, and so it was a really fast growing space uh, very high profile and as a result even in the traditional finance world there was a lot of interest in the space and so as there was a lot of outreach internally uh, to help clients understand how to navigate this asset class I was someone that was known just for personally being invested and interested in the space. So I got looped into a lot of calls with clients to help walk them through the thought process, how to think about the asset class. Unfortunately, at the time, uh, Goldman's uh, Investment Strategy Group, you know, their formal position on the space was that we shouldn't recommend it to clients. Um, it wasn't appropriate for client portfolios, but I'm sure, as you know, uh, when investors want to get exposure to something, they're going to get exposure to it, and so uh, many many investors were trying to figure out how to navigate that that landscape. And so, back in 2017, I decided with a few of my colleagues from Goldman to go and launch uh, an asset management firm to try and create products that were easy to access the the crypto asset class, the crypto universe. And so that's been my kind of personal mission in in moving into the crypto space over the last five years has been trying to bridge that gap between traditional finance, and, and crypto. And so that, that firm that I launched, Crescent, we launched one of the first index products in the space. So essentially, a vehicle that invested in Bitcoin, Ether, and, and, a, and a handful of other crypto assets uh, that were the largest and most liquid assets in the space, uh, and made that available to, uh, to investors. That company, uh, I, I worked there for several years. Ultimately, uh, I wound up exiting in 2020. The company was was very successful. And I met Fred at 3iQ, who's the founder of 3iQ. And at the time, in 2020, he had just gotten the approval for the first Bitcoin exchange-traded product in North America to be listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. and uh, And we connected and he was looking for folks to help build out the company uh, now that we had gotten that approval. And I, I jumped on in and <clears throat> the rest is history. At the time, uh, 3iQ maybe had 5 five people and maybe $50 million in, in assets under management. And in the next year, year and a half, we grew to 50 people and uh at, at the highs uh you know we had over four billion in asset center management so it's been a really exciting ride over the years uh in, in space
0: it's it's interesting um the way you describe that Chris because at the highs over four billion um I'm not sure exactly what your figure is now uh, around about two and a half billion as I as I understand in in aUM ha, has the growth stopped slightly or slowed given the volatility the real the, you know the sell-off? that we've seen in the space over the last um, sort of, you know, two months?
1: So the nature of, of this space, we're, we're talking about kind of the cutting edge of, of technology, Web3, as it's called. And so the nature of that is that it's very volatile. It's, it's only a little over 10 years old, uh, you know, that, and that's talking about Bitcoin's history, uh, let alone many of the other crypto protocols that have launched, you know, some only a, a couple years ago, Ether going back, you know, seven, eight years now. So the space is, is just generally very new, it's still very volatile. And so we've seen these cycles continue to happen over the, la- over the history of, of the ecosystem, uh, which is relatively normal, right? You have, you have a lot of new investors coming in, a lot of new technological development. And so yes, this unfortunately happens uh, very regularly where you have 50% plus pullbacks and the space gets very quiet. Um, in previous cycles, you know, there was a lot of conversations around is this the end of 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 crypto? Thankfully, I think we're we're past that point in terms of maturity level for the space. The space is very well established now, especially in the North American markets, a lot of institutional engagement and adoption. And so we're still getting into this cycle along with the broader macro trends. We're in a very uncertain macro environment at the moment, uh, in, in a high inflationary environment. And so we've been in a very risk off, uh, uh, situation and that has not, um, you know, crypto has not been immune to those risk off pressures. And so we've seen, uh, crypto assets sell off alongside traditional equities, uh, and other, other store value assets. And so, you know, although today that, I would say crypto has performed relatively well actually, you know, Bitcoin is down 50-60% from the highs, but that's actually in line with a lot of other tech tech names, and actually many many Nasdaq uh, you know tech stocks have actually sold off far more uh than than Bitcoin and Ether, and that's also contemplating that there was a substantial collapse within the crypto ecosystem of the Luna blockchain and the stablecoin UST, which which had a very substantial impact on the space holistically. And I'm actually personally impressed at how well uh, the space has weathered that storm considering, you know, both the traditional macro circumstances and the specific circumstances within the crypto ecosystem.
0: It's interesting, you know, because back in 2017, which is the time when I really started paying attention to what was happening in in this space, um, Bitcoin was very much seen and cryptos in general, but, you know, largely Bitcoin seen as an independent asset class, if you like, um, uncorrelated to what was going on in the equity market. And in fact, in a lot of cases, it was seen as a hedge to the volatility that we were seeing in equities. It's different now. Um, You talk about, you just sort of alluded to it in in some of your comments that you just made, Chris. But it seems like Bitcoin is more highly correlated with equities. Now, if we see a sell-off in equities, we're likely to expect one or to see one at the same time. In in Bitcoin, what's changed?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. One, I think when we zoom out, correlations still remain relatively muted for this asset class. However, that said, in certain periods of extreme stress uh, in broader macro markets, like I mentioned, kind of these risk-off environments, we've seen uh, crypto correlations spike. And that's not unique to this current sell-off. If you go back to March of 2020, you know that was another, obviously, the, the COVID crisis. Macro markets sold off. Crypto was not immune there either. And so correlations spiked for a period of several months and we're seeing the same type of activity now i still think on the on on a longer term time horizon uh you know bitcoin and crypto assets are going to still be relatively uh, uncorrelated to traditional assets though to your point over time even those longer term correlations have slightly ticked up on average and i think a big piece of that is just that the adoption of the space has continued to increase over the years. So when I mentioned before, you know a lot more institutional adoption, you have uh, a lot of large asset managers and private wealth clients, family offices, and other institutions like pensions, uh, endowments, insurance plans. A lot of them have gotten exposure to this space. And so now when we're in a risk-off environment like we currently are, when when institutions are reducing their exposure to some of these asset classes, Bitcoin and crypto is going to sell off, just they're going to reduce their, their positions in assets like Bitcoin and crypto, similar to how they would do for other risk assets. So I think over time, as adoption continues to, to increase, you may see correlations pick up slightly over the longer term.
0: When you look ahead then, Chris, um, and and you were talking about the inflationary environment that we're in at the moment, of course, rising interest rates and so forth. Where do you see cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin going then in the future? Because there's a lot of You know, the technical analysts that are looking at some of these charts with uh, very woeful faces, but then others that are saying, you know what, we've seen this downside and we're pretty much at the bottom of of this market and, you know, we go up from here. So what's your view?
1: Yeah, my, I think our position is is that the macro environment right now is shaping up to be a really perfect environment for Bitcoin and crypto over the longer term. So while I, I, I agree that I still think we're going to see some volatility in the short term, considering we're in a very unprecedented state at the moment when we look at a variety of different metrics, you know, debt to GDP ratio for many large con- countries like the US is at all time highs. Uh, inflation levels are at, you know, 40 plus year highs, there there are several different metrics that we look at. When we put that all together, it's an environment that we've really never seen before when you combine that with historically low interest rates. And so coming, coming out of an environment like that, there's going to be substantial inflationary or recessionary pressures. We're kind of caught between hyperinflation and potential recessionary environments where the Fed in the states is trying to really find that delicate balance to have tightening but obviously not push us into a recessionary environment but do it enough to t- uh, reduce uh, some of the inflationary concerns. But I think I think that said when you look at the aggressive quantitative easing that's happened over the past 12, 13, 14 years, we're now paying for that. And that's impacted the economy in a, in a big way. So we've, we've promoted uh, growth in equities as a trade-off to, you know, managing our uh, uh, reasonable monetary policy. And so over the, just the past two, three years since the COVID crisis began, you know, the, the, in the U.S., the money supply, M2 money supply, increased on average 18% a year. Like those are huge numbers. And now with the global co- supply chain concerns, uh, in addition with the inflationary pressures, people are losing trust in, in governments. This has been a, a longer term trend. And so as we think about um, what type of assets are going to perform better in environments like that where there's it's not only just you know fiscal po- and monetary policy it's also looking at geopolitical tensions you know other countries have had their assets frozen like like Russia with the Russia Ukraine crisis the US and others have have frozen global reserves and so this is starting to erode the global financial system a bit and erode some trust in that system and so this is an opportunity and an opening for decentralized assets like bitcoin like other Web3 opportunities that are focused on building a new decentralized internet, I think, I think they're going to perform very well in an environment like that over the next five to ten years as we try to dig ourselves out of, of the hole that, that we put ourselves in.
0: So you've mentioned Web3 a, a couple of times, Chris. Take us through Web3 cryptocurrencies and, and how they differ from other cryptos like Bitcoin, for example.
1: Yeah, so I think Web three is it's kind of a marketing buzz term that people in the space are using, but I think it's being used so much because it makes it makes it much easier, I think, to understand the the this ecosystem versus the terms that were used historically like cryptocurrencies. And so everyone kind of knows the evolution of of the internet. And so when you think about Web two, that's really the the creator economy, um, social media, YouTube, Instagram this really vibrant ecosystem in the internet where people were able to uh, create content. They were able to read and write content. Web3, the exciting part about Web3 is is the evolution of that where now creators can still read and write and create content, but now they also can own that content. And that really can better align incentives between different creator economies and platforms and the actual people that are consuming that content, right? So when you think about something like, uh, you know, large tech platforms like Amazon and, and others, there's, there's been this, this chatter over the last several years about big tech and the lack of trust. And it's because the incentives aren't necessarily aligned and, and consumers feel frustrated with the decisions that are being made but the web3 ecosystem enables these creators to actually own a piece of that ecosystem and participate in the governance of that ecosystem which is what's really exciting so when you know bitcoin is part of that web3 ecosystem too i don't want to separate those those things out because bitcoin is this decentralized uh reserve currency or store of value which is kind of that first use case for web3 it's it's taking ownership and having uh, a reserve currency of the Internet, hopefully in, in the future of the world. Uh, but when you go beyond that, Ethereum and other smart contract platforms that were created, uh, essentially are a decentralized uh, application layer, or a decentralized platform that allows people to build applications on top of that platform. You can think of it like a decentralized you know, app store where anyone can build any type of application that they want. And so over the past several years, there have been many viral applications that have really started to gain a lot of traction that I'm sure many folks have heard of some of the buzzwords like DeFi, which means decentralized finance. It's the ability to lend and borrow assets directly between individuals. So instead of having to go to a bank and borrow assets or take a loan, you can borrow assets from these uh, lending pools. And if you want to lend assets, you can lend your assets into those pools and generate an interest uh, return on those assets all without having a central counterparty. It's all code-based smart contracts, algorithmic-based smart contracts that do this. And that's a really powerful innovation. In addition, there's plenty of other exciting use cases like uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which are essentially digital art or digital goods, um, which people have been interacting with for years in the Web2 ecosystem. I'm sure many people have you know, children or kids that play Fortnite or are grownups that play Fortnite. I'm personally a gamer myself. And so they a lot of kids spend a substantial amount of money on skins and essentially digital clothing to dress up their avatar so they look cool because they spend a lot of time with their friends in these ecosystems. And just like they want to have nice clothes in real life, they want to have a cool-looking character in the game. And so the, the evolution in Web3 here is now having these non-fungible tokens that have real-world value, can be traded Uh, in a decentralized economy, anyone can buy and sell these things. And they can be used in, you know, your own personal gallery, or they can be used in a specific game. And so these are just a couple examples, um, you know, the kind of the first Web3 use cases. But the reality is, just like with the internet, we can't even fathom the types of use cases that are going to emerge over the next 5, 10, 15 years in this ecosystem. But we're we're just at the beginning.
0: You have a, a, a great way, Chris, of actually putting this all into layman's terms. That was, that was um, more understandable than I've heard in the past. But overlay this with something even more complex, and I think you've partially done that already. But overlay this with metaverse, with the metaverse, and, and how cryptocurrencies will change a, as a result, because we're talking about virtual worlds. I mean, you're talking about specifically uh, games and so forth. You know, when we're talking about the metaverse, it's much more about the entire virtual world becoming more prevalent um, and cryptocurrencies re- really being, you know, the payment mechanism to, to be used in the metaverse. And surely this is going to bring more attention to cryptocurrencies in general.
1: That's exactly right. I think the metaverse is just an extension of, of kind of what i I guess what I'm leading towards in in the descriptions that I've already provided, this is a a virtual reality, right? More and more people are spending their, they're already spending their time in virtual worlds, right? It's just been through social media or through different platforms or video games. And now the metaverse is really a decentralized virtual reality. That's, that's going to tie all these things together. If you have digital goods that you own, that are built on these decentralized networks whether that's a skin like I described before or, or cool clothes i mean we're starting to see really large brands high end fashion brands create uh, nfts and digital items that can be literally equipped to your avatar in the metaverse already so like you can go into these worlds like decentraland which is probably the the most well known and most established decentralized uh, virtual reality that is based on blockchain technology to date, where land is extremely expensive, you can buy land again it 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 is land that will will exist forever. You can buy and sell it in an open market and honestly uh, you know i don 't even know what the what the floor price is anymore, but it 's hundreds of thousands of dollars to get even a small plot of land in this universe and now you have large companies that have bought real estate in this universe to promote their Company and have an office, and and if if investors or clients want to come and visit that office and learn about uh, what services they provide and and engage with uh, employees, that's the type of, of interaction that the metaverse is is bringing to corporations, let alone individuals that are getting all different types of experiences here. So large sporting events and and other uh, uh, leagues have created interactive interactive realities in these decentralized virtual worlds in order to help boost engagement so really I think this is a way uh, this is the new way that people are going to interact in virtual worlds both with each other but also with with companies and brands and and content creators and it's just it's the next way that we can interact with people in a in a really open ecosystem that allows for anything
0: so so talk to us then just briefly, um, Chris, about how 3iQ fits into all of these things, to these many sort of different but, but uh, separate worlds that we're, that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So similar to my personal mission that I mentioned back at the, at the beginning, you know, 3iQ focuses on bridging the gap between traditional finance and this crypto asset class, right? And our goal is, just like many companies within the crypto universe, is to help make it more accessible. And so our focus, uh, what we've what we've brought to market up to now is we've launched exchange traded products. We've worked with regulators to ultimately create products that make it easier to invest in this asset class. And we've done that with Bitcoin and Ether. We've done that with products that invest beyond Bitcoin and Ether and give exposure to um, to a large portion of the entirety of the crypto market cap. Um, we've brought yield products to the space venture capital and so finding ways to package products to make it easier to invest in this ecosystem is our goal and this ecosystem is vast and very complex and I think that's where a lot of investors get hung up. It, it's kind of um, the infrastructure for the crypto universe is totally separate from traditional finance. So if you go into your brokerage account, you know historically it, you couldn't just go and click I want to buy Bitcoin in your brokerage account, You had to open up an account on a crypto exchange and you had to set up a a custody, um, whether you're doing self-custody or or working with a, a third party custodian. Those are separate from all the traditional brokerage houses and custodians in the traditional world. So a large portion of the population has kind of been left out of participating in this ecosystem. And so that's really where we've stepped in and created exchange traded products and other types of vehicles, mutual fund vehicles and others. To make it easier for investors to access the asset class. And we're focused on, as the space matures, bringing more and more of the space to those investors. Because again, it's not just owning Bitcoin and Ether. There's also a very robust yield uh, and lending uh, environment that I described before with DeFi. There's also a very robust venture capital space that focuses on the metaverse and a lot of the infrastructure in the crypto space. So being able to help investors access that ecosystem is really our our key and focus. And so we research and spend a lot of time uh, understanding all of the different aspects of the space so we can explain that to investors and help guide them through this landscape. And so the metaverse is a great example. Although today we don't have a metaverse product, 3 IQ does actually have a headquarters in Voxels, which is one of the the largest, you know, decentralized virtual realities in the, in the crypto universe. And so you can actually come to the 3IQ office in in Voxels and learn about our products and hear from our different employees. And, uh, and just explore what we're focused on at 3iq. I'm
0: heading straight there after our call. <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you so much um, for your time today. It's been wonderful to have, have you with us and certainly to listen to those explanations that you gave us with Web3 and DeFi and, of course, the Metaverse as well. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: And a big thank you to all of our listeners, of course, who've joined us uh, today for this edition of Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. We will catch you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialized corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium sized public and ASX listed companies.